1: Welcome to the Dogs Programme here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs. We are the Dogs. We are the Defenders of Government Schools, DOGS. We've been around for decades now because government schools need defending. We discuss educational issues in Australia and around the world, which is exactly what we're going to be doing today. Um, There's been some interesting things in terms of the Federal Government's approach to... What can be taught in Australian schools, that Jim will be highlighting. But we'll also be talking about a perennial problem that comes up over and over again, certainly in various comment threads around Australia. Why on earth don't churches pay tax? Why on earth don't churches pay rates? Um, and there's been a very interesting article that's been written by Trevor Cobold from Save Our Schools up in Canberra that highlights the issues around this you know, fun- functionally important problem. Um, which is that the churches live in Australia but don't contribute to it. Um, they live off the fat of the land but do not contribute to the mm-hmm. common wheel. Um, their religious nature precludes them from doing so, apparently. Um, and a lot of people think that that's a bit old-fashioned and we should make them pay up. But without further ado, of course, we'll start the program as we always do, with Jean's press release. Press release number, what is it, Jean? Uh,
2: 823. But before I go into the press release, which is, uh, the title is, He Who Pays the Piper, The Annexation of Private and Public Schooling to Canberra's Goals. I'd like to refer you to an article in the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age on December the 12th, 2019. Education Ministers Approve Ambitious Plan to Track Students' Learning. They've all given the green light to an ambitious national plan to track each child's learning that will involve developing a suite of online tests to help teachers diagnose what students have learned and what they need to tackle next. Now, why is this happening? This means that Canberra, Tian, can get his cotton-picking fingers right into the classrooms of Australia. But I've got news for you. There's nothing new about this. It's been going on for a long time. And although Dan Tien says the reforms are a game changer for education and he thinks this is going to improve student outcomes because we're falling behind in the international stakes, the PISA tests, it's very interesting that a lot of teachers in their comments, and I'll get Dale to read these comments a bit later, are not very impressed with the control, real control being exercised from Canberra. And please note, this control is not in public schools so much as in private schools. So it gets back to press release 823. He who pays the piper because the money's coming from the centre. The annexation of public and private schooling to Canberra's goals. Recent huffing and puffing and the back to basics diversion by coalition education minister Tien in response to news of Australia's decline in international education stakes masks a fascinating fact. Let's deal with facts here. We like to deal with facts at 3CR. In the last 60 years of ever-increasing public funding of private schools, the Commonwealth is directing educational activity throughout Australia. With this latest exercise, they're going to be in the classrooms tracking students. Just think about it. And with the technology, they can do it. This is, you know, dystopian stuff. For some people. And if Australian school standards are failing and falling, then Minister Tehan should carry the responsibility because the Commonwealth is directing educational activity throughout Australia while state governments and religious organisations that are supposedly running private schools are merely managing the services. Minister Tehan has real power to determine what is actually taught in our schools and how they are administered. But you say, and one of the teachers uh, who have responded to his latest exercise in control says, what most people think, education is a state responsibility under the Australian Constitution. How has this happened? Well, I'm going to give you a history lesson and a legal lesson. I hope you'll, you'll stick with me because it's fascinating. There's been a gradual annexation of educational power over education, which is a state matter by the Commonwealth. Although in the original 1901 Australian Constitution, Section 51 nominates the specific powers and areas uh, that the Commonwealth deals with, And one would accept that or expect that this means that if something is not there, if education is not in this list of what they have power over, then the Commonwealth cannot intrude upon the states and education is not listed in Section 51, excepting after 1946, and we'll talk about that. There was a case, it was a very important case, in nineteen twenty. Yes, I'm sorry, listeners, I'm taking you right back to 1920. Because until 1920, it was just accepted uh, that the interpretation of Section 51 was that if it wasn't listed, then that activity was not where the Commonwealth should be, but where the state should be, and education was one of them. But the Engineers' case questioned that and turned it around it was possible for the Commonwealth to get involved in an activity that was not listed in Section 51. And then in 1942, under wartime conditions, the power to levy income tax passed to the Commonwealth from the states. The states lost their main income, which comes from income tax. And so the states lost the funding initiatives to the Commonwealth for large numbers of services, although they still had the responsibility, allegedly, for health and education. Then in 1946, the Commonwealth amended Section 51 to include the provision of financial benefits to students under the social services power. In 1962 to 64, state aid to private schools commenced and it was very specific. It was for science blocks and libraries, you might remember. And it used Section 96 of the Australian Constitution to give those Commonwealth government power and funds to provide financial assistance to the states. That is, Section 96 gives the Commonwealth power to provide financial assistance to the states and territories and listen to this, and I'm quoting, on any such terms and conditions as the Parliament sees fit. On any terms and conditions as the Parliament thinks fit. That's Section 96 and state aid to private schools, along with the chaplaincy and other funding to public schools like ESL programs or disadvantaged school programs, that has been justified by this power. The Commonwealth through section 96 can give funds and say exactly how it is going to be spent. By 1982 through the Schools Commission funding, was provided to systemic and non-systemic private schools for building and equipment projects, recurrent expenditure, short-term emergency assistance, general education in English, that's as a second language, that's ESL, and disadvantaged schools and special education. From early 1983 to 96, and 96 is a very important year in this story, Under a Labor government, further inroads were made on the curriculum. They established a curriculum development centre to work on national curriculum. So it was the Labor Party in 1983 to 96 that got involved in the actual classrooms. Once again, through section 96, but they established a curriculum development centre. And in 1984, funding was tied to socioeconomic indexes and accountability increased along with the funding. The more funding, the more, allegedly, accountability for the expenditure of that funding has increased. Although, as the dogs have told you again and again, the private systemic schools, particularly the Catholic Education Office, have been very reluctant to really tell where it's gone. Now, um In the last three decades, there have been three national agreements on education. But we'll have a little break there and come back for our history lesson. This history lesson is to prove how the national government in Canberra has virtually taken over almost every aspect of the education of our children. But a little break with perhaps a little bit of Beethoven. Now, before the break, we were talking about how the Commonwealth government has got its picking fingers, cotton-picking fingers into education, right into our classrooms, and I've been trying to give you the history lesson on how this has happened. Now, we've got up to 1989, and the three agreements are between the Commonwealth and the states, because for it's been taken for granted for many, well, for well over a century, that Education is a state responsibility, but less and less power is with the states and more and more power. The power of the purse is with the Commonwealth Government. Now, in 1989, there was a Hobart declaration on schooling. There was lots of rhetoric about equity and so on, and the more, more rhetoric we know we have in education in Australia, the less, uh, the less that rhetoric is real. Uh, particularly about uh, equity. But this Hobart Declaration introduced the concept of a national report and common state and territory curriculum components alongside the development of minimum literacy and numeracy benchmarks. So 1989, and this is a Labor government, really got into the classroom and curriculum. In 1999, the Adelaide Declaration on National Goals for Schooling in the 21st Century, you had the state governments now had to sign agreements with the Commonwealth Government for public schooling as well as for private schooling. Then in 2008 we had the Melbourne Declaration on Educational Goals for Young Australians and eventually after this we had up the setting, the setting up of the first Gonski Report. Because all of this time there was an awareness that Australia wasn't doing too badly in the international stakes, but it was starting to fall behind because of the large numbers of disadvantaged schools, most of which were in the public school sector. The more money they gave, the worse it got for many, many children in Australia. There was also, in 2008, listen to this, the establishment of the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority, that's ACARA. That was the Act of 2008 and this created a new body to oversee the development of national curriculum from preparatory or kindergarten years to the end of secondary schools in four subject areas – English, Maths, Science and History. The Schools Assistance Act of 2008 can be distinguished from any previous act as it applied only to private schools. Public schools were left out of this. Commonwealth funding for government schools or public schools didn't require specific legislation and it's been negotiated through the National Education Agreement of 2008. So finally, private and public were separated out. Now, all of those statements, those three statements, 1989, 1999, 2008, have adhered to the empty rhetoric of equity, but they've emphasised educational outcomes rather than really how much is going into each sector. In particular, the Melbourne Declaration was accompanied by an action plan of strategies and initiatives that Australian governments will undertake in collaboration with all school sectors to support the national goals. And among the strategies in the 2008 Melbourne Declaration four-year plan crafted by Federal Minister Gillard was agreement by all Australian governments to review their engagement with government and non-government schools and systems to ensure that school regulation supports the achievement of agreed outcomes and that all schools participate in and comply with national reporting requirements. Now, I have a vivid recollection of Education Minister Gillard having a showdown with the private uh, education uh, representatives in Canberra where she said, you give me the information and if you don't, and they didn't want to, I won't give you any money. And they buckled under because they wanted the money in the way that the private schools have always buckled under at the same time as they assert their so-called private independence. So the private schools were required to participate in the National Curriculum and National Assessment Testing Program, NAPLAN, and also in the pizza test, the international surveys. And as a result of this, the dogs and people from Save Our Schools, Trevor Cobalt and a lot of people, are now able to see on my school website all sorts of information about private schools which they had hidden for uh, decades before. But under these programs too, the discretion of private schools to manage their own educational programs and content was severely eroded. If independence was one of their goals, Commonwealth Government control of the private school sector is almost complete. And you can see this with what is now happening with Dan Tien in Canberra. So, what are private schools now? Are they anything else than parent and publicly funded shelves that provide public education? What's going on in all our schools is being determined by Canberra through the curriculum authorities. So what's so different about these schools educationally? And according to them, back in 1981 in the High Court, they were primarily educational institutions and nothing more or less. The religion was... Uh, an appendage only. Now the conclusion. Dogs have this conclusion to offer. When it suits the Commonwealth Government, they blame the states for educational inequalities and falling standards, claiming that they have the constitutional responsibility for education. But gradually, and particularly since the Second World War, And most particularly since the provision of billions of dollars of state aid to private schools, state power and responsibility for education has been eroded. And finally, it has been annexed through the power of the purse by stealth by the Commonwealth LibLab Governments. And this factual situation, this is a factual situation, this is not propaganda, this is not rhetoric, this is actually what is happening on the ground. TN can tell teachers what to teach in every classroom throughout Australia. This is called centralised authority, which the so-called private schools say they are free from, but they are not free from it in one iota. The factual situation means two things. If the Commonwealth Government has the power, then the Federal Minister of Education also has the responsibility for the gross inequalities in funding between our government, our public and our private schools. He is responsible and he should accept responsibility in the same way as the Prime Minister must accept responsibility in the end for what is happening in our bushfire period. Secondly, if private schools have lost their voice and any authority over core educational content of their schools and if their levels of funding have reached that commensurate with the funding of public schools, then why are they not open to the children of all the taxpayers, that is, public schools? So that is press release 8.23. 8.23. I hope that you've stuck with us because it's a very interesting historical um, situation that we find ourselves in in Australian education, quite peculiar to the rest of the world, where we fund these private schools where they have to teach what they're told to teach by the central authority and yet they call themselves private and they seem to be without proper accountability for the Enormous amounts of money that they are receiving and our public schools are becoming like beggars, begging for public money from Canberra. So that's enough from me. Um, over to Robert. Yeah,
1: thank you very much, Jenny. Listen to the dogs program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the www. So if you listen to the podcast, hello. If you're listening on air, then I'm um, uh, great to have your company as well. We'll be back with more Dogs Program, Defending Government Schools, after this.
2: 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black, or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au/shop to buy online, or drop into the station during business hours.
1: On the boots in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moravian, fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Pasaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Altaroa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4:30 PM, starting January 16, we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters.
3: This is Zoya, Tuesday Breakfast newest host. If, like me, you missed out on summer school last year, don't fret, class is back in session. Last year, we unpacked the ideas and language around all the concepts that we touched on in our shows. Our aim was to make sure that knowledge doesn't just sit in a university, but is for everyone. This summer, we're doing the same. You've gone through your foundation course, now it's time to graduate to your second year. Join us as we learn from experts, academics, activists and people with lived experience and explore how the theories from last year can be, and are, put into action. Tuesday mornings from 7am, starting mid-January, 855am or via 3cr.org.au and check out our Instagram, 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, for more details.
1: Yeah, Jane uh, started the press release talking about Dan Tehan with his ambitious new plan to track each child's learning That would involve developing a suite of online tests to help teachers diagnose what students have learned and what they need to tackle next. Um, I'm going to just call BS on it. Um, If you want want kids to learn better, teach them better. Testing them better ain't going to do nothing. It's been a long time now since educationalists have actually talked about teaching and learning without using the word assessment.
0: Mm.
1: And that's what it's all about. So if he's going to develop a new test to assess... What kids know and don't know, then he'll know that, I suppose. Um, teachers can tell you that anyway. Uh, it's, it's how they go about the process of teaching and learning, how you train them and support them that matters.
2: It's kicking responsibility, his responsibility, down the line. Oh, it's ridiculous. To teachers. It's just ridiculous. It's I mean, it,
1: it, hmm. I mean this, is, this is supposed to be a big concern about Australia's declining results in international tests, and it is that. But if you want to improve the results on Australia's international tests, um, you actually spend more time in the teaching and learning space, Mm. doing research and supporting teachers in that space. That's how you actually improve it. Improve the status of teachers in society, Uh, cut down their hours, um, increase their professional development, Um, spend more attention on teacher training, Uh, make it make make the wages worth someone worth someone's while. So i I'm, 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 I go to uni, I'm going to be a teacher. Why? Oh, because it's 70 grand a year straight off the bat, so I'm, I'm having fun with that for sure. But you've got really good marks. Yeah, I know I've got really good marks. So I'm going to become a teacher. That's the way it should be. It's a vocation for me, and also I don't mind the money. Um, lots of countries do this, just by the way. Mm. Um, they have very status, very high status positions for teachers, and they remunerate them properly and support them properly. And guess what? They're doing better than us. So yeah, setting up a new test, I'm not really interested in. There are some other people who have opinions about this as well, actually. Um, Dale, can you share some of the um, some of the comments on the to the Jordan Baker uh, Jordan Baker article of December the 12th?
0: Thanks, Rob. Yeah, I've got a, a couple of comments here. I'll just read a few out. Uh, Ms Yaya says Australian results on PISA have declined at the same rate the federal government has upped its involvement in the delivery of education and manipulating education sector funding. By all means, have a national curriculum. That at least makes sense. But perhaps the way to improve performance is to let the states have the funding and let them go back to doing what they need to do in their jurisdiction. Education is a state responsibility under the Constitution. And then, for one, says, Yet another time-wasting, busy work activity to suck up a teacher's time with. Here's an idea. If you want to improve pupil learning, how about giving teachers time and support to actually teach rather than jump through endless administrative hoops? And then, Nico says, I was in school education for 47 years, from classroom teacher to principal of secondary schools. I have lost count of the number of politicians' inspired reforms and restructures, reviews and curriculum improvements that were foisted on schools in that time. I am totally unable to recall even one that made a jot of difference in the classroom.
1: Thank you very much, Darren. you listen listening to the Dogs Program, the Defenders of Government School. Yeah, that last comment resonates with me too. Like, this has it's been going on for ages. More tests does not make better results. You don't do the same test twice expecting a result that's any better if you don't do any sort of teaching and learning in between. But um, we're going to move on now to another issue relating to private schools in Australia because private schools in Australia do not pay rates and the Municipal Association of Victoria is actually now sick of it <laughs> because they kind of, you know, want to do all the bin collecting stuff the council's do and they're running out of money, and they're looking at all these private schools popping up all over the place, just sort of basically um, leeching off the services of the local municipal area without contributing one jot. I'll be talking more about it after this.
3: 3CR is giving our prolific programmers a well earned break. Check out the Summer Grid at 3CR.org.au Summer Specials. 3CR is about community.
2: to summer programming on 3CR. To find out more about our summer specials, go to 3cr.org.au. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project giving voice
3: to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria.
0: It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together.
4: Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just
2: want to, to say thank to you doors, to all of you for giving us the opportunity to morning. speak on air. The bigger air. the
4: reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold.
2: And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars.
4: But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know, it's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like, it's it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family.
2: If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 8377.
1: Liaison, Christa liaison. yes, let's just praise everything. It's nice when you do it like that though, isn't it? Lovely bit of music. Um, but back to the matter at hand. The Municipal Association of Victoria has made a sub- submission just late last year into an inquiry into Victoria's local government's rating system. He said that the rate exemptions among several million dollars in subsidies um, amount to several million dollars in subsidies for private schools for example there are 69 rate exempt private school properties owned by 30 private schools in the burundara local government area that's just one council now, that includes the suburbs of Baldwin, camberwell canterbury kew and Hawthorne, so it's you know it's where a lot of them are uh, but there are some most and these are of course some of the most expensive suburbs in melbourne the private school properties have a capital improved value of almost 100 million dollars and the revenue loss from the rate exemptions um amounts, amounts to around $1.4 million per year for the Boroondara Council that they're just not getting. Now the association said that the exemptions meant that private schools are subsidised by the ratepayers of, of that particular council area. Other ratepayers must pay the cost of providing roads and footpaths and drains and traffic measures and car parking works and school crossing supervision or even in, around the schools that are being exempted. These costs are considerable because the volume of vehicles and pedestrian activity around these schools in the inner, inner eastern Melbourne is often very, very high. Other costs include the use of public open spaces, sports grounds, which are also maintained by the local council and used by the schools. Now under Victoria's Local Government Act, land used exclusively for a charitable purpose is exempted from paying rates, and private schools are at the moment in Australia are recognised as charities. The submission also calls for exemptions on a range of other organisations to be revoked, including universities and religious property holdings used for commercial purposes. The association's call for rate exemptions to be reviewed is also supported in submissions by several individual councils. The Melbourne City Council questioned why land used for charitable purposes should be exempt from rates and called for a review of charitable purposes. What is a charitable purpose? Jane can tell you more about that. I know she has already. The Burundra Council said the rate exemptions for private schools should be revoked. Now, the exemptions for private schools from rates have been a long-standing concern for many local councils around Australia. For example, in 2013, local governments up in New South Wales called for a review of rate exemptions following a report commissioned from Deloitte Access Economics. The report found that such exemptions place an unfair burden on other ratepayers. The North Sydney Council said that the exemptions for seven private schools in its area were costing over a million dollars in lost revenue. In 2008, both organisations criticised rate exemptions applying for the large land holdings of many private schools in their submission to the Productivity Commission, um, so this is not a new problem, but it is a problem that sort of seems to be growing because the numbers are growing, both the number of schools and the amount of fees they're charging and indeed the amount being foregone by the local councils. Now, private schools are charities because they are considered to provide a public benefit by advancing education. Under existing legislation, the charity whose purpose is the advancement of education is presumed to be a public benefit and does not have to demonstrate this benefit. On this basis, the Commonwealth and State Governments grant a range of benefits, including exemptions from income tax, exemptions from GST, exemptions from payroll tax and land tax, as well as local government rates.
2: These are actually called, or should be called, taxation expenditures. And when we talk about state aid to private schools... These actual amounts should be included in. They should be up on the My School Programme. They are actually tax expenditures to the taxation public, the taxpayers of Australia, but they are never included in the total figures of state aid to private schools. Um, And this is actually really pretty pretty bad. For example, public schools have got to pay payroll tax, but private schools don't
1: truth. The Deputy Dean of Melbourne Law School um, uh, said that there's no reason why a charity must lead to an entity being tax exempt. These exemptions can be revoked by governments without affecting the charitable status of the schools. They're separate things. However, it is incongruous that elite schools charging fees that only of the very wealthy can even afford or attend should be entitled to charitable status and the substantive benefits that accrue thereby. The exorbitant fees charged by these schools ensure exclusivity. For example, the fees of 10 private schools in the Bruandora local government range from $21,000 per year to well over $30,000 per student per year, um, and between 70 and 86% of the students in the nine, ten, nine of the 10 schools are from high socioeconomic status families, and all, all of these schools, not not a single one, have... Any students from low or economic status backgrounds, despite their claims of scholarships and charitable status, six private schools in North Sydney local government area charge fees ranging from eighteen thousand to nearly thirty-two thousand, and between seventy-six and ninety-one percent of students from these schools are from high-income families. And while three of these in Sydney have no students from low SES families. The other three have only less than one percent of poor kids. So there's no poor kids. Uh, there is no charity in these schools. Like it, it just functionally, there are no poor people around to be charitable to. They're just not there. I mean, I know. I mean, I think about it. there's there's this idea I think in Australian education that that charity is the opposite of poverty. Like charity solves poverty. No, it doesn't. It never has
2: Not legally, no
1: Well, um, not, not, not in actuality no. Charity is in fact a very aggressive act When it comes to dignity of a human being And their rights mm. In a civilised nation like Australia If you have to survive on charity Then that takes away the dignity of the men and the women And, and all the people of Australia No matter what their gender
0: and the concept of charity itself uh, in a capitalist uh, um, environment entrenches poverty. It does,
1: Just Correct. Al- almost by definition. Correct. Well, I mean, you, you'll, be, you'll be very glad to know that in the current bushfire situations, no significant wealthy Australians have donated anything to the, any bushfire appeal of any sort. Uh, celebrities do. Overseas people do, but, but not Australians. So we're up on that. You know, we don't give money to people. But, but we like to be charities when we're setting up our nice exclusive schools. <laughs> now, apart from the subsidies provided by being tax exempt, these schools receive millions of dollars in direct funding, as we know. We talk about this all the time. So not only do they have exemptions, but they just get straight up cash from the government. The 16 wealthy private schools. Well, MLC, Methodist Ladies College. $33,000 a year gets $6 million off the top from the federal government each year. I have no idea what they do with it. They probably just lost it because they don't need it. It's in there somewhere. I mean, where do you lose $6 million? Oh, someone goes on holiday or someone gets another nanny. I don't know. Because you can't put any more squash courts on that campus. You know what I mean? I mean, you just can't do it.
2: Unless they buy up the local houses... And then go to the Minister of Planning straight, compulsorily acquire them for charity. Yes,
1: right. Well, these schools are, of course, are exclusive bastions of the wealthy. It's incomprehensible that the education provided by these schools is assumed to be a public benefit. It's a particular private benefit. This I understand. Oh, don't worry, I understand that. And I'm sure everyone who's paying the money understands it too. But it is not a public benefit. The fact that these wealthy private schools enjoy charitable status and the tax advantages it confers is incompatible with any common sense view of what it means to be a charity. The benefit goes through an exclusive group of students from wealthy families, many of whom also benefit from a range of other government tax concessions, such as superannuation concessions, negative gearing concessions, capital gains tax, franking credits, which all on their own cost taxpayers billions of dollars annually. Some of these families are being pursued by the Australian Taxation Office because, of course, they're hiding b- income overseas. I mean, we're up in that bracket when we're talking about these schools. Oh, I wish I had some money to hide overseas. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. Get to Tasmania, dig a hole, put, put the money in it there, and that's my offshore account.
2: <laughs> we won't get any interest from it.
1: <laughs> that's all I'd right, be dollars and cents anyway. Anyway, rather than a public benefit, of course. Elite private schools are a public, and I, this is Trevor Cobalt, by the way, a man of, a man of some rhetorical substance. Uh, Trevor Cobalt says, rather than a public benefit, elite private schools are a public bad. I like the word. They're bad. They're not a benefit. Their whole purpose is to a, give a privileged group of students an advantage over other privileged students, and of course other poor students by definition. And, of course, they exist as a prestige status marker. I would add, if you're wanting to develop a class system and you don't have one, um, setting up exclusive schools is basically the way you go about it over the generations. Of course, they cost us, me, governments, a lot of us, millions annually in funding and tax concessions. This is a complete waste of money, a waste of taxpayers' money. Parents can waste money whenever they like. These schools do not need this funding. They don't need these exemptions. About
2: 10 years ago, Max Wallace from The Rationalists wrote a book called The Purple Economy and he estimated that this was a $70, million, sorry, sorry, billion, $70 billion industry. Now, that's 10 years ago, so it would be considerably more now, I would suspect. Very yeah, I
1: mean, Trevor says, and I agree, the government funding would be far more efficiently used to support highly disadvantaged, any other school, yeah. any other public school. I don't give a damn whether are disadvantaged or not, any other public school. Obviously, if you support disadvantaged schools, you're going to, oh my goodness, improve the PISA school so Dan Tane doesn't have to come around testing everyone again. <laughs> wow. Well,
2: what is so special about these schools, because as I've been pointing out, Methodist Ladies College, uh, Xavier, you name it—they're all teaching the same national curriculum. Yeah. There is no difference between what should be going on in each classroom all the way around Australia. Well, We're I can going tell to get you. get to the point where Dan Tian wants to know what each child is actually learning at a particular minute of a particular day,
1: well, I can tell you. In, I can tell you. Year nine history curriculum involves studying are both the causes and the consequences of the First World War. This is across the nation. Um, in many schools, this is taught by teachers in the classroom with various resources they have. Um, I can tell you that at MLC, uh, they go on a two-week tour of the World War I battlefields in Europe during the holiday. They just send the kids off and, and they have a nice time. Nice um, for some? Yes, yeah, it is nice for some, isn't it? Hmm. Look, the public benefit criteria for registration as a charity should be much more rigorously defined in Australia and these schools in particular should fall outside the definition of a public charity. Mm -hmm. It is insufficient for private schools to say they provide education to get charity status, especially in the case of exclusive wealthy private schools. Private schools must be required to show that they deliver a real public benefit before being granted charity status, that is to say... Yeah, you can have charity status if you take anyone in the local area through your doors and educate them to the standard that Dan Tan wants. And if they're willing to say, oh, yeah, it's fine. Oh, by the way, don't charge fees. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, you know, if if you're a religious organisation, you can get all your priests and nuns and imams. You can do all the work free and charitable because you're being all very charitable. And that way you can have your charitable status. That's right, yeah. Kind of the way it was before the 60s. I think it's a perfectly reasonable idea. Thank you very much, Trevor Cappell, for that article. Um, It's good to see you back for January. It's good to report on what you're doing. That was a press release from his Save Our Schools website, um, dated January the 9th. So I would um, I get on to that. Now, you've been listening to the DOGS program here on 3CR855 on the AM dial. It's been great to have your company. Um, We are here because we have to be here. Quite frankly, um, today I'd much rather be somewhere else. But um, today, I have to be here because government schools need defending. And we'll be here until that's no longer true. Maybe next year sometime we can sort out all these private schools, take their money away, take, take a lot of them over and have an effective public school system for our entire nation. Wouldn't that be nice, Mr. T? But until that day, of course, we have to keep fighting. If you want to fact-check us, you can on our on our website, info. Which you can get to through the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au, or if, um, as, as as we often have, um, a great state school. If you want to contact us um, and say, "I know it's really great state school," please feel free to do so. Um, you can just give us a call, 94198377 business hours, um, even through the even through January. Um, aren't we good? We're a community that never sleeps, a community that never stops. Um, so yeah, you can call the radio station itself. But until next week, from us here at the Defenders of Government Schools, that's from Dale, myself, Robert and Jane, and it's bye for now. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent, or if you're a kid, or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State
0: College. schools are great. Parkaway
1: Primary great School. State Sunshine North Primary School. They're really school.
3: concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning.
1: Like you put on plays, you got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking...
3: Actually, an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs.
1: More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia.
3: Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's how that's we welcome into the school.
0: Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the when weekly
3: assemblies to... and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words it is actually. So, so
1: what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom.
3: It's a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning.
1: State schools are great schools.
0: Great state schools.
4: And organize It's the